Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. And if you don't have your Bible, um, or even if you have it, and you'd like to follow along, uh, the program, uh, our, our website, uh, www, whatever that is, um, Bethlehemchurch.cc. I don't think you need to put that in there anymore. The phone pretty much does it for you, doesn't it? So if you just enter Bethlehemchurch.cc forward slash program, or if you just make it to Bethlehemchurch.cc, there's a button on the front of the webpage that you just click it, and it says weekly program, and all my notes are in there, and you can follow along all the scriptures, and I really think a, a day like, honestly, not just today, uh, but the last few weeks jumping into this study here of 1 Corinthians, it's a great tool, uh, and we leave it up all week. So it's a great tool for you to go to and reference and study those scriptures and go back because you're not going to get it all right here uh, in, in a 30, 45 minute, in an hour and a half message. Just kidding. Uh, but you're not going to get it all right here. You're, I'm, my hope is just to spark the flame. My hope is just to get you interested in the Bible, in the Word of God, and that you'll take that and you'll go into your walk with God, into your quiet time, and that the Lord will continue uh, to work in your heart and work in your life. So you can, my notes will be up on the website um, all week, and so go back and forth and, and study it out. So we're going to start here. We've laid two weeks of groundwork for this new series in 1 Corinthians, and really what we found is the first 17 verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, are a combination of greeting and thanksgiving. Paul, Paul's saying, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm about to shred you in a letter. No, uh, but really, he's, he's like, I'm coming to you. This is an important word uh, that I'm going to give you, but I'm thankful for you because you're a church. And so take heart. Have hope that, look, this church was a hot mess. I mean, they were a hot mess. You got uh, son-in-laws sleeping with mother-in-laws, and, and I mean, it's a lot. And if you haven't quite gotten there yet in your life, there's still hope for you. And even if you are there, God bless you, I hope not, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's still hope for you too, because Paul was still preaching to them. So if, if anything, what we're getting out of this current sermon series is that the Church of Corinth was the Las Vegas of the ancient world, and they were fully indulging in it, and they were still children of God. They were still believers that Paul was actively pursuing and trying to disciple in the word of God and work through these things. He wasn't content with where they were in their spiritual growth. He wasn't content with where they had landed. Uh, he wanted them to continue to grow in grace, but it should give us hope that, look, none of us are perfect. We're all struggling. We're all in this thing together, uh, but we need to be making progress. We, we should not be standing still. Uh, if you will. So uh, we've learned that there's hope. We've learned that we're a part of the church, the global church. We might not be connected denominationally with every church, but we're connected to other people that believe in Jesus. Uh, and we, we might not be able to have a breakfast together because of differences or whatever, but there's going to come a time where we're all going to be eating together. We're all going to be uh, eating at the same table. So, I, I mean, there's so many good things that are happening in this text. And so, also, I want you to notice doctrinally. I, I said this to somebody 
this week, and I find it helpful uh, in that conversation, and I'm going to share it uh, to you this morning, but as we study this, this book specifically, this letter to this church, remember that the book of Acts, we said this in the beginning, Acts chapter 18, where this, where this takes place, where Paul in his second missionary journey lands at Corinth, uh, is, is now with Aquila and Priscilla, and they're, they're doing ministry for about a year and a half. That takes place around Acts 18. So remember, the book of Acts is a 30-year historical record of the first 30 years of the church. So it's, not, it's written by a physician. Luke, who wrote one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, uh, is a two-volume series, Luke and Acts. And he was a doctor. He wasn't a preacher. Uh, he was a physician, so he, he, he gave a really accurate historical record of the first 30 years of the church, but we're not digging into Acts, uh, unearthing and revealing doctrine that isn't supported in other parts of the books, right? Uh, so if you have Paul and Peter, the primary people who are at work as apostles during the book of Acts, we've learned of another name, Apollos, but if you have these guys at work, it's smart, it's wise to go to their books to go to, we've already gone through First and Second Peter, right? It's smart to go through Paul's other letters and find the cohesion between the two uh, where it fits in the storyline of Acts, and that's how we formulate doctrine. We don't take one verse that, that fits the narrative of what we think and, and run with that. We look at the whole, right? We look at the whole message, the whole picture. So there's going to be clues, there's going to be things that we find as we read this, and that's what I love. I love as we study the books that things jump out and, and it really supports and helps solidify our faith in the gospel. Um, so uh, take advantage of that. As we're going through these letters, these all scripture, yes, all scripture is given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness that the man or woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So let's, let's dig into the Bible and, and do the work that is necessary. So let's read verse 17 and then uh, we're going to read verse 18, which is the thesis statement. And if you look at my title in the program, it says 1 Corinthians 1 verses 18 through chapter 4 verse 13. So we're going to be here a while. We're going to cover all that scripture. <laughs> no, uh, Really, that's the whole theme. That's the everything that we're going to say from verse 18. And this is something for you to go read this week, really connects all the way to chapter 4 verse 13. Um, so it's all tied together with this thought of uh, the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. The wisdom of the cross, the power of the cross, versus the wisdom of the world that is at work within us and about, uh, hopefully not within us, uh, but, it, but it is. So uh, that's the ground that we're going to cover this morning from 1 Corinthians 1.18 all the way to chapter 4, verse 13. We won't read it all, but we'll elevate and highlight certain things that are really connected. And then also we're going to pull in some of the other books and narratives of Scripture that fit and align with what Paul is saying. Uh, so we're going to start right there in verse 17 uh, of chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, verse, verse number 17. And I'm just going to pause for a moment of coffee. How about it? Mm, this is really good. How many enjoyed the coffee this morning? Man, thank the Lord for those that, that make it. Amen? Mm-mm-mm. Actually, was that a K-cup or was that the, oh man, I'm sorry, mine's probably, it's probably not as good. Oh, goodness gracious. Pete's. I love Pete's coffee. Anybody? It's like I have a mask on. How many are so thankful that wear glasses that we don't have to wear masks anymore? Anybody? Can I get a witness? I can walk through Walmart again and not have to, excuse me, 
for all the blind people out there, you know, man, it's so annoying. I'd get, I'd get 10 vaccines, then I have to deal with that. Anyway. <laughs> uh, anyway. Okay, I guess we'll preach the message now. <laughs> Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, another hint, but to preach what? The gospel. The gospel there in Greek, the young Gillian, the, the death, burial, and what? Resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's really what it's about. We're going to bring some clarity to what the gospel is. How many want more clarity on what the gospel is? Come on, man. The more we get, the better. So Paul says, Christ didn't send me to baptize you. I, I think maybe we could say it this way. Christ didn't send me just to perform ordinances and rituals of the church. He sent me to preach Jesus. He sent me to make a connection for you. My goodness. Not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. And I've said this, this is my focus in this book study, is that the cross has power. It is a fear of mine, not a fear of man, but of God, of reverence, of fear to the Lord that, that I have his power in doing ministry work here on this earth. I, I don't want to go through the motions. I, I, just, I don't want to stand up here and, and preach every week and, and, and everything that I'm proclaiming is going into a bucket with holes. It's being emptied of its power. I, I want to proclaim the gospel and it take heart and take root. And where you feel it and you internalize it and you're equipped, you're empowered. But if we're not careful like this church, it empties itself. If I come to you, if, if you're more in love with the way I'm giving the message than the message itself, it's going to be emptied of its effect. Nobody wants to live an ineffective life. Yeah, that's, that's what, hey, Sean, good to see you. Yeah, that's what I want. I want a marriage with, you know, I just want an ineffective marriage. Sound good, babe? <laughs> Nobody wants that. <laughs> Nobody wants that. You sit through an interview at your job, your prospective job, right? And you're like, you want to hire me. I'm your guy. Why should I hire you? Because I'm largely ineffective. It's amazing. I, I will be your greatest ineffective employee. Hire me right here. Oh, my goodness. They would be like, okay. Where's the people with the straight jackets? Lock this fool up. It's foolish, right, to go into an interview and say, I'm, I'm your number one ineffective guy. Hire me. But that's, that's what happens with Christianity when we do it in our power. We're the most ineffective Christian on the face of the planet. And this church was full of people that were worrying about other things other than the gospel. Okay, here's, here is, I love this verse. I have fallen in love. Some of you that were talking to me about the message through the week, this verse, like, I want to, like, claim it for forever, and I know I feel that way about every book I go through, but verse 18, some of y'all need to write it down. You need to claim it. You need to memorize it. You need to commit it to memory. Look at it. Verse 18, for the word of the cross, my goodness, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those, watch the grammatical structure here, who are what? Perishing. Who are perishing. But it is the power of God to us who are being saved. That's an incredible verse. And that verse shapes all the way to chapter 4, verse 13. 
That is Paul's found. He, he laid this, this introduction and this greeting, and he came out of the gate because he said, brothers and sisters, I, I got a problem with what's happening. You're caught up. You're not experiencing the power of God in your church. You're experiencing sin. You're experiencing immorality. You're, you're experiencing uh, literally the selfish behavior. You're not experiencing power. And he comes out and he says, listen, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed. But if you're being delivered, it's power. It's power. We're going we're gonna to spend significant amount of time on that in just a few moments. But before that, look at verse 23. He says this, leading up to it. Uh, look at verse 22. For the Jews ask for a sign, and the Greeks seek wisdom. Once again, if you haven't heard the last two messages, go back and listen to them. This was a, a blended culture. The Greek people sought after wisdom. The Jew, Jews were seeking after a sign. Signs and wonders, right? So for those two people that Paul was focused on reaching, look at verse 23. They seek wisdom, one seeking a sign, but, watch this, verse 23, but we. <laughs> Paul makes a differentiation, a, 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 a you know the word I'm trying to say. <laughs> that just went right out my mind. He differentiates, there it is, in verse 23 from those that are saved, those that are being delivered from everyone else. To the Jews, they want a sign. To the Greeks, they're after wisdom. They spend hours in the marketplace just debating and trying to learn. They submit themselves to schools of thought. Uh, Plato, this, this uh, Galileo or whatever fella, right? There's tons of them. <laughs> The point is, is they were, they were just desiring to bolster themselves, right? These Greeks. Look at this. But we. So th this differentiation, this, <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> He's differentiating between we, but we, but those that are being saved, preach Christ crucified. Watch this. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. You have to sit on this for a second. What we are doing is not going to make sense to everybody. And I know this is like, oh my. You know, people maybe watching online or following up on this. Religion, it's all about control and yada, yada, yada. <sighs> yes, there are always churches and people, false teachers, right? They abuse power. They give religion, which I hate that term, but they give churches a bad name. But aside, apart from, but we, Paul's not lumping himself in with false teachers. Paul is saying, we that are real, not we that are always right, but, but we, what we are preaching does not compute with these people. So here's, here's kind of what I'm getting at here. As we lay the groundwork for these few chapters where he talks about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the cross versus these signs and wisdom and wonders of what they were seeking, he's saying right out of the gate, listen, they're not going to understand and they're not going to get it right away. So th this should land in, th this applies to so many things. For some of us that are like, okay, I just really want to be a good gospel witness, right? I just really want to share my faith. I really want to be able to talk to coworkers. I really want to be able to talk and witness to my family. There has to be some presuppositions here to your witness. 
some, some, uh, just a general understanding that it is not your logic and the way you articulate this that is going to make sense. It is not the way you perfectly craft this argument in Scripture, the wisdom of the world, or the sign or wonder. It's, it's not those things that are going to make the difference in this. Paul's very clear right from the get. But we and what we are preaching is not computing with those that are being ruined, those that are perishing. So it's vitally important that you not craft this from a perspective of, what do I think is effective? It's, here's the point. It's not all pragmatic. It's not all, well, this makes sense. The gospel does not and did not make sense to these people. And I'm going to I'm going to like expound on that a little bit. But we, here's a little excerpt from a, a book I, I thought this was great. The emphatic but we sets Christian proclamation in stark contrast. In stark contrast to human quest for signs and wisdom. The cross is the solution to the world's quest for power and wisdom, but only to the called for whom Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. To the unbelieving Jew, a crucified, listen to this, this gives you context, what Paul's trying to say. To the unbelieving Jew, a crucified Messiah is the epitome of weakness and defeat. A flat out contradiction, a stumbling block that goes against all expectations of a royal conquering king. Similarly to the Greeks, distinguished by their quest for wisdom, the notion of an executed criminal, Jesus, as the locus of God's wisdom amounted to sheer nonsense. The stumbling block, the Jew, the foolishness, the Greek language, ascribed to Christ in his crucifixion is difficult for the modern Christian to grasp. But we have to keep in mind how the proclamation of an executed criminal as good news, the gospel, would have played out in the first century context to the Jew with fervent messianic expectations and to the Greek who coveted honor, esteem, and success. You have to put yourself in their minds, in their context. You, you have uh, modern-day wisdom that is flourishing, medical knowledge. Hippocrates, or the Hippocratic Oath, came from Hippocrates developing uh, medical advancements. Everyone is desiring and learning to grow in this Greek culture, this melting pot of Roman rule, but so many different philosophies and mentalities. And then the gospel explodes, and you're asking me, as a Greek who's seeking wisdom, to learn after a criminal? You're asking me, it, it was a sign. If someone, even the Bible says it, cursed are those that hang on a what? On a tree. It was a sign of a curse. If you were crucified, you were a cursed person. Oh, let me get this straight. It's good news that someone died on the cross. It's good news that someone was cursed and I'm gonna find deliverance in someone that was under a curse? Do you get what Paul's saying? And then to the Jew who was looking for, a, I'm spitting everywhere, I'm sorry. It means I need another drink. I need cough drops, babe, next week. I'm gonna have to get some cough drops. Can you remind me? <laughs> to a Jew who was looking for a messianic king to come and set up his territory, right? He laid down his life. They put a robe on him and mocked him and said, where's your power, where's your glory? And he opened what? Not his mouth foolishness. 
If you're God, save yourself. But, but, but we, verse 23, do you get what, you get where Paul's saying? But we who get it, but we who understand it, but we who have been transformed by this news, this news that was horrible, that that was uh, really, you, you can't even fathom someone dying being good news, someone giving their life, someone who is cursed, literally uh, resurrecting and bringing life to the world. Those that have understood it, those who have believed in it, those who have declared their loyalty to Jesus have been radically changed. And we see the power in it, but watch this, that has motivated them to live like he lived. That's, okay, all right. So if I get it, if I understand the gospel, then I'm to pick up my cross, then I'm to be cursed too, that doesn't seem right. That seems foolish. That's the thought process. And, and might I add, it's still the thought process today. Even today, we have folks that enter the church house because they know they're missing something, but yet, the sacrifice that is required is something that they never bring themselves to doing. Therefore, they never experience the fullness of the power that is within it. And they're always caught in limbo of like, man, do I just wanna, do I wanna dive in? But we, or am I still a, a Greek and a Jew seeking for a sign? I just, Lord, show me a sign. I mean, if I had a buck for every time I heard that from a, an American, not a Jew, I'd be a rich man. I'm just waiting for the Lord to show me something. You need a sign? <laughs> like that Bob Ingball or whatever, Bill Ingball. Here's your sign. <laughs> you know, the fella, <laughs> so dumb. He's like, I pulled over, I saw a guy, you know, with a coat hanger trying to unlock his, his car door, and I said, hey, did you lock your keys in your car? No, my car's wet and I'm hanging out to dry. Here's your sign. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the obvious thing. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> the point is, is like, we have it all. And Paul is literally going to use those words. At the, I, it's so good that you have to read and bathe in this section of Scripture. Paul's going to say that at the end of this message. But I'm trying to paint this picture for you that the Jews and the Greeks of that time, they did not accept it well. People still are not accepting it well. That's why you need power, you need something real, something that will actually produce a change not the answer to a formula. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to continue here. It is foolishness to those who are under a curse to put their faith in someone that was technically under a curse, but it's his curse that sets us free, empowering or delivering those from their own curses. I find this practical, and I find this fitting in the narrative of Scripture. There's all kinds of Old Testament quotes, but listen to this from, from Jesus' gospel ministry. Matthew eleven twenty five through 26 says this, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. Just, I don't have time to expound on this here, but I preached three messages leading up to Easter this year, 
And I think it's the middle one that I talk specifically about the fact that this plan of salvation, the Lord hid it from those people. If you, if you, thought, if you think that the devil and the imps of hell or the unseen realm that was after Jesus, if you think they would have crucified Jesus if they knew the plan, you're mistaken. You think the devil would have crucified and killed Jesus if he knew he was going to lose the keys to Hades? Do you think he would do it if he knew he was going to lose keys to the power of the underworld and the souls that he was holding? If he knew that the gospel, the good news, the curse, it, it is foolish to the people of the world that a king would, would be placed on a cross. That was the plan. The Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. He hid it. He, he hid it in plain sight. We're a part of something. We see the effect of it now because he broke death. They tried to hold him, and when he got there, just like Jonah, remember he uses that illustration in the book of Matthew. Here I am preaching it again. I don't have time to expound on this. Go back and listen to my messages leading up to Easter. It was hidden. I don't have time to explain it all today. But this was for a purpose. And, and ultimately, we know that the plan worked. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus split the underworld in two, and he rose from the dead. He conquered death. Death in this imagery of Old Testament uh, reading, death is always synonymous with the person holding that underworld or the God that was working in the underworld. Death was someone who worked with him and sometimes represented by a God himself, uh, which is the imagery used in Revelation. So this, this thing, this personification of death being a person, remember how Paul speaks to him in, later on in this book. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Paul's talking to death like it's a what? A person. Jesus defeated literally this person, this, this underworld, if you will, this other God. And I know that some of you, you know, it's like, whoa, read Unseen Realm. <laughs> Supernatural. Do some digging and some research. I'll point you to those resources. But the point is this. These guys believed that Jesus had the upper hand and he defeated the forces and powers of darkness. That's the point. And so he did it with this incredible plan. And what we now are on the other side of is, and here's where the practical rubber meets the road. We're still stuck in our own way using our own power, our own knowledge, our own wisdom, our own thoughts of how we think church should be to defeat our problems in life. And Paul said, Jesus has never been about your logic. He's always had the plan from the beginning. He's always had the power to execute it from the beginning. So why are you trying to do marriage and raise children on your own? You weren't able to save yourself on your own. You weren't able to defeat hell on your own. So what makes you think that your sanctification is up to you? That's what we're getting at here. I got a church full of people, Paul says, that are running around doing church the way they want to do in church. And they're suing each other. And they're sleeping with each other. And they're getting drunk on the Lord's Supper. That's happening in this text. And we're going to get there next week. So hang on. It's going to be crazy. And I encourage you to leave your little ones in the classes when we get into it. Because it's going to be lit. Shoo. Anyway. Put that lampshade on your head. No. It's, it's going to be crazy. But Paul is saying that's what happens 
when you got a bunch of God's people trying to do God's things with your wisdom instead of mine. Okay, let's continue. Let's continue. Let's go. Let's, let's dive in. Jesus said, Father, you've hidden this stuff. It's been this way from the beginning. It's an Old Testament reference. If you look at, uh, hasn't God, back in our text, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Paul says this, where is the debater of this age? Paul is just poking at the Greeks that are in this church. What's he say? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? Once again, direct quote from Isaiah 29, 14. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among these people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Even the prophets knew. The Lord is not, he does not need your wisdom. The Lord does not need your thinking. The Lord does not need your logic. It just needs to make sense to me, Lord. <laughs> His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. The smartest of the smart realize that they're not very smart. And they go, oh, there's something supernatural. There's something above nature at work here. Therefore, they are not bound by the laws of nature because they work in the supernatural. If you see in the picture, come together. Okay, this is the part I love. Verse 18, look at verse 18. There are two, there are two human responses to the message of the cross that I see Paul saying. Two, so look at verse 18 as we, as we kind of dissect. Remember, verse 18, this is the foundation. This is the thesis statement all the way for chapter four, verse 13. And here's what he says. For the word of the cross, is foolishness, watch the grammar here, to those who are perishing. It is, a, it is a present participle. It is a present being, state of being verb. This should help shape some of your theological concepts, right? The word of the cross is foolishness, we're gonna say two tracks. Foolishness to those who are perishing. That word perishing means those that are being ruined. Those that are being uh, pillaged, those that their city is being ransacked. It's in what? The process. It's a, Paul is doing this on purpose. He knew what he was doing. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, those that are currently being wrecked. And, look at verse 18, but, comma, but, the conjunction ties two equal clauses together. So in other words, what is happening on the front end of this is also happening what? On the back end of it, connected with this conjunction. But it is the power. Power of God to us, watch this, same thing, who are being saved. That word saved comes from the Greek word sozo, which means deliverance. So, so we have two active, present, active, present people the foolish and the powerful. The foolish, they are actively being ruined. The cross, the word, the gospel, the message of Jesus is, is foolishness actively as they are perishing, but it is power to those that are actively being delivered. So how does this shape your theology? Well, many of you that look at salvation as this one point in time should see that that's incorrect. It's invalid. Those that have been saved and go figure out life on their own, is that what Paul says? 
Those that prayed a prayer got their golden ticket and go sow their wild oats. See you in 50 years, Lord, when I get to heaven. Is that in the theology? That ought to scare some of you. Perfectly. It's, it's, it's there. It's in the text. Paul is saying this is an active, present thing. This is not a past. For some of you that have a past, that's how you become complacent. The Lord saved me from all of it. I'm good now. Um, is it an active present delivering that you are experiencing in every moment? If not, then you are actively being destroyed. That's what Paul is saying. This verse ought to like wreck you. It wrecked me. I'm like diagramming this verse and I'm going, woo. Present? This tense of this verb is an active present tense. Mm, my goodness. This Watch, this should give us like, this should give us like almost a reverence towards people's salvation decision. Where it's like, if you know, okay, if you know someone is actively being destroyed, there, there's a difference between someone who is, who is dead, someone who, who has been pr pronounced deceased, the bullet penetrated the heart. If, if you just turn on the news and you can see story after story of devastation in our world. I read a headline this week. I was showing my wife, open up my news app. A 14-year-old girl, a 13-year-old girl stabbed 114 times. Oh, by a 14-year-old boy, they think. You, you, you just see and we understand the fragility of life when we see if they are pronounced what? Dead, deceased, it's over. Salvation is not working that way. If you are alive and breathing, if you have a coworker, if you have a family member, as you would before that child was deceased, you would do everything in your power to stop the act where her life would what? End. Everyone that is on this side of eternity is actively being ruined or actively being delivered. That's our outreach. Our outreach says if you're still alive and breathing, the grace that God gave me isn't exclusive to me. You can have it too. And so I must possess the power of God, the cross, in such a way that it actively pursues you and get you out of ruin and into deliverance. It happens. It's continual. It's present. In this moment, if they're still alive, it's not over. We must bring some weight into our witness and understand that they are actively being destroyed. Maybe, maybe you don't see it. Maybe a news story turns your stomach, but someone who is unsaved doesn't. You're not seeing this with clarity. You're not. If they're still alive and breathing and they count the word of the cross as foolishness, they are actively being destroyed and you must intervene. You must tell them the power of the cross. You must tell them what is foolish to the world is wise to the Lord. He wants nothing from them. All he wants to do is deliver them. 
while they're being ruined. Satan will take every ounce that you have, every dollar, every emotion, every relation. He'll take it all. Why? He pillages, he plunders, and he does it until you are dead. He is actively ripping everything from your life in this moment. If you don't know Jesus, you're actively being destroyed. You're actively being ruined. And if you know Jesus, you must know that it is an active, present threat, a present situation that you must intervene on. If you got a spiritual sword or a spiritual gun, pull it. It's active. It's a fire. Whatever alarm, what is the highest alarm fire? I don't know. <laughs> Call, hey, it's burning. We've got to see this. You, you, it's present. Those verbs, this is why Bible study is important. This is why it's important. Paul wanted you to see that it's a present threat, not a past threat, not a done threat. It's now. This verse is all you need to know for outreach. I, but I haven't had the proper training. Well, go do proper training. Go do what you can do. You know, there are certain things that we do to protect our families. Certain things that I leaned into, but at that moment, if someone's trying to take my child, like, I will give every ounce of my body. God, help someone. I'll rip their arms from their body. <laughs> if it's my child and, and their posterity over that person that's trying to harm them, guess what? They're going to get hurt. They're going to get hurt. Why? Because my child is the priority to me. Your salvation is the priority to the Lord. Even though I'm not a black belt in jujitsu, I'm going to look what I got around me. <laughs> or carry something that can make the difference. Understand, church, but yet we don't have that attitude to people who are being ruined. Oh, it's okay. It's just a little humanism, it's just a little affair. Do you understand the weight of this book? The whole weight of this entire letter is in verse 18. The whole weight. The reason why you get out of your sin, the reason why you get out of your immorality, the reason why you have reverential treatment towards baptism and the Lord's Supper, which we're gonna see they, they don't, the whole reason is because of verse 18. Everything hinges right there. People are actively being ruined or people are actively being delivered. Now let's take that thought and look at Romans 1, 16 and 17. Listen to these words. Paul is so consistent across the board. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who what? Believes. This is in the program. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from what? Faith to faith. Oh my goodness. This is where I just get a Holy Ghost fit right here. How much more is packed into that verse about this thing? Understand Paul saying, you're actively being ruined. Guess what I need? I need power. <clears throat> I'm not ashamed. The person who knows the urgency of the situation doesn't care what they're wearing, what they look like, what they sound like. They're just trying to get the person that is being killed delivered. 
I'm not ashamed of it. Paul is saying, and even if it takes my life as a spectacle of what is happening, church, I'm willing because I know what matters and they do not. Man, that's power. But if you come on the scene, Church of Corinth, and you do it in your eloquent words, oh, hello, I see you're burning. <laughs> Let me tell you how to use a hose. Let me tell you how to put out the fire yourself. Oh, you're being attacked. And we see people like this in our generation. They're standing there on their phones watching some dude get his tail handed to him. And what do they do? They just watch video. What the heck? That's, that's the retarded nature. I shouldn't use that word. That's, no, I mean, that, that's the problem. That's the problem. It's the same. And churches do the same thing. Someone is in active ruin, and you're like, did I tell you about my areas of service? Did I tell you how amazing I am on the worship team? Paul's like, oh, there's no power in that. It's Jesus. <laughs> what are you talking this should bring so much clarity to the church. If everyone sees, the, there's nothing like 9-11, right? That our whole entire nation turned and came what? Together. And then right after it. Why? Because there was a threat. Paul is saying, hey, hey, it's an active, present threat. People are being pillaged and plundered. The church should come together. The church should put those things aside, not with preferential treatment. <laughs> I need all the Holy Spirit I can get right now, God, because the word of God is power. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Do, are we seeing this? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's the power. But they're running from it. They're more, look, if we're more enamored with how we look at church, how we look at church, than how effective we are at church, we've got a problem. I'm not ashamed of that. The Lord's plan, man, it's what we're doing okay on time, but the Lord's plan is the gospel. It's to deliver. It's to deliver people. say it again. The plan for the gospel is to deliver. People need deliverance. And if you've not had deliverance, you need deliverance. That's what that word salvation means. And if you've had it, you know you've had it. And you're like, yeah, it's more important that they get what they need than me looking a certain kind of way. They can't tell that they're on fire. That, listen to this scripture. I hope I'm bringing clarity to the gospel today. Listen to this. Yeah. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We read the first two. For by grace, let me read it in this version here. I think it's more helpful, but I'm gonna quote it in the other one. So I'm gonna look at it and read it. You ready? For you are saved by grace through faith. I'm gonna bring this through with an illustration here in just a moment. You're saved, you're delivered by grace through what? Faith. Did he not say the same thing? The just shall live by what? It is your declarative loyalty, your belief in Jesus that saves you, not your works. We're seeing that. We cannot save ourselves. It is our 
declaration to your loyalty, Jesus, it is you, that saves us from the fire. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, which is why humanism is so bad. It is God's gift, not from what? Works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good what? Works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. The act of being delivered. Those that say, I got my salvation, I got my golden ticket, and that's it. You're, you're not experiencing what Paul is saying. Th this is an active thing that the Lord pulled you from and put you in another, and he's prepared the way. He's not looking for you to be good in it or for you to add to it. He's saying, I, ahead of time, worked out a plan of deliverance, and I came to you in your prison cell, and I said, here's the plan. Follow it. Follow the path. Do this when I tell you to do it and you'll be delivered. You'll be saved. <sighs> Your salvation is a process. It's a process. It begins with justification by faith. That's the one point in time. It's a legal term. <laughs> Hebrews 9.22 says this. Listen, and all, this rug, it just travels. I don't get it. We're getting a bigger one, okay? It drives me nuts every week. We're getting a bigger one. I just haven't picked out the right one yet. <laughs> Hebrews 9.22. And all, every week until I get a new one. It's how it's going to be. 9.22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. The initial... It's because of that. The Holy Spirit is here equipping, sealing. He's your earnest, Paul said. He's your down payment. Before you're made new, before you get your glorified body, before the Lord comes back and the eschatological timeline goes and the day of Christ is here and we don't have our sin to deal with anymore, before that, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and he teaches and instructs you how to go so that you are delivered. We're still in this crappy world that, that bad things are happening and people are dying and, and, and all these awful things every day you hear about it. But it's the Holy Ghost that says left, right, turn, stop, kneel, go. He will lead you to deliverance. But in order to get the Holy Spirit, you declare your loyalty to Jesus. And with his blood, he paid the price for you to go justification, sanctification, the path. I am the way. I'm not the golden ticket. I'm the way. The truth, the, no man cometh in the power by me. Hit the blood, the veil, the temple was rent. Why? Because you now can experience the holy of holies in your heart. And the Holy Ghost of God will lead and guide and direct you. But, but the one person of the Trinity, the Holy Ghost, that can lead God and direct you, watch this, can also be quenched, grieved, and blasphemed. 
Jesus did his finished work that, listen, is perpetual. He is the intercessor. He is the lamb. When John sees a vision of the Savior in heaven, what does he see? The lamb what? Slain. He sees the blood. He sees the price that has been paid for your deliverance. What is that? Uh, what does that mean? It means not only did Jesus pull you out of destruction and ruin, it means he stepped into your destruction and ruin. He says, I will be your substitute. There has to be someone over here getting condemned, getting ruined, getting pillaged, getting plundered actively. And that's what Jesus does for you. He's actively, the Father is pouring out his wrath on his Son. And you're actively being delivered with the map from in, inside out. And we grieve it and we quench it and we don't follow it. What the heck is wrong with us? That's a little, it's a little rough, but you get my point. We whine and cry about what? Our Savior was wrecked, pillaged, plundered. Lamb of God slain before the foundation. He left heaven. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, pillaged, plundered, made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Oh. And we whine and cry about the little nuances that the Holy Spirit leads us on. We can't read our Bibles every day to figure out how to weave in and out. The heck. And I'm not... Listen, you, th you think this message is harsh in here on a Sunday morning? You should have heard it on Monday when I was giving it to myself. When, when I read the book and I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's there. That's totally there. Robinson, what is your problem? Like, you got issues, dude. I know. I'm praying about it, Lord. <laughs> I'm actively pursuing my deliverance and it's difficult. I have sin. It's hard but it's a worthy journey. To, un to understand the power of the cross is to see an unmatched love. I'm sweating. It's to see an unmatched love from our Savior and the finished work that he did that, he did that totally saves us and ultimately equips us for our sanctification. Now, how many know John 3.16? How many have ever read past it? In the context of what we're talking about, listen to this. Let's read past it. You ready? For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him, it's, it's loyalty, it's belief, declaring your loyalty, will not perish but have eternal life. Watch this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Plug and play. Anyone, anyone, put that in your Calvinistic theological pipe and smoke it. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. Watch this. The light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the what? 
the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Stop, wait. Here's the end of chapter four. I'm sorry, the first part where we're gonna end this series. Listen to Paul's words from 1 Corinthians chapter four. For who makes you so superior? After he talks about the wisdom of the cross and the wisdom of the world. For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? You are already full, Paul to the Corinthian church. You are already rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us. And I wish you did reign so that we could also reign with you. For I think God has displayed us, watch this, the, the apostles. Watch this, this is so good. I think God's displayed us, the apostles. Paul is saying, in last place, like men condemned to die, we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people, because he knows that he's gonna rule over angels. He says that later on in the book. We are fools for Christ. The power of the cross is foolishness to those who are being pillaged. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed. This is Paul's testimony. Roughly treated and homeless. We labor working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. Paul realized that he can be condemned, reviled, mistreated, and he still has the power of the cross. Paul realizes that they that are in ruin think their success on this earth is their ultimate success, but it's ultimately their what? Failure. You see, sometimes the devil gives money, and that money is the ruin, and it is the problem. Paul says, I get the power of the gospel, so therefore I'm literally okay with whatever state the Lord puts me in. Because I know that it's just my responsibility to shine his light and not my own. What Christian is willing to go through suffering today? Well, uh, it's a small list, it's a short list. It's pretty short. Why, because we have these prosperity teachers saying that if you give your life to the Lord, he'll make everything amazing. Garbage. At what point is the world gonna see that there's a difference between us and them? The world sees the difference when we pick up our cross and we do it with joy and not with grief. When the world sees us going through the garbage of life and we're happy to do it, that's being Christ-like. Being Christ-like, giving the, you know, the couple dollars to the guy that needs it. Being Christ-like, losing a loved one and knowing how to be a good testimony through that problem. It's suffering. Listen to Paul's testimony. The tables are turned. He's saying, I'm poor. I'm mistreated. I've lost everything that I built my life for. And I did it for the sake of the cross. 
for the sake of the gospel. And it's amazing. Why? Because I know who wins in the end. I am actively being delivered, and they are actively being pillaged and plundered. Here's the, I don't have time to give you the points, but I'm going to give you the illustration. How many like my lamp guy? You like him? It's pretty cool. Listen, here's the problem. You ready? This is it. We have all kinds of lamps in this world. All kinds. Everybody looks different. Acts different. We have different kinds of light bulbs. Some people have a little more light upstairs than others. <laughs> we got the Thomas Edisons of the world. Or should we say Nikolai Teslas that made him look good? You know, this is an EcoSmart from Home Depot. That's about where I'm at. <laughs> EcoSmart, 10 for a dollar right there. <laughs> You know, we got some of you that are a little more streamlined. Some of these that can be made colors and bright and different things, right? Shine in different ways. You go to Carmen's house, and he just says, hey, Google, make the lights in the, in the kitchen green, and boom, it just happens, right? It's pretty cool. Light bulbs that do different things. This guy, that's like, a, you know, back when Bethlehem Steel was open. This is a Bethlehem Steel worker, you know. You've got different, different kinds of people, right? Different purposes. And Paul is saying, Paul, John, <laughs> Jesus, they all said that men are in darkness. Everyone looks different and acts different, but they were made in God's image. But without grace through faith, they're not connected to anything that actually lets them shine for the reason they were made. By grace through faith. No one deserves to be plugged into this because we unplugged it ourselves. We chose to sin. We chose to remove ourselves from the Edenic paradise. And he did it for a reason, and I get it. But the point is, is it's only by God's grace that we can be plugged into the power source that makes us work. I understand that we're just a bunch of lamps running around the world in darkness. If we as the church don't get this, no one will fulfill their purpose as a human being to be an image bearer of God. They can look all pretty, have different things that they're made to achieve, but until someone puts someone else's deliverance above their own, through faith, they're never going to experience it. The faith in God through faith. When you say, Jesus, I'm plugging into you. I believe that you have the ultimate source for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness on this Memorial Day. Jesus, you bring perspective to my ruin and my pillaging. Jesus, you deliver me. Jesus, I am nothing. All I am is a funny-looking lamp without you. But with you, Jesus, when I declare my loyalty to you, I find my purpose. I find why I was made. I mean, there's a lot of other reasons why this thing was made. A lot. 
believe it or not, this showed up at my doorstep from Amazon, not ordered by anyone in my house. People just send products to people. And when I saw it, I was like, that's a sermon illustration. Thank you, Lord. This thing, whatever you want to make this thing look like, we were doing the floss this morning. I mean, we were staying alive. John Travolta. It has multiple purposes and things. But we're living in this Ikea day and age that it's all about what it looks like. Paul is saying, go ahead, church. Live your life. Say it in your way, and you're going to empty yourself of the power of Jesus. (laughs) It's by grace through faith. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father that is in them. Paul didn't care if he lost an arm. He didn't care if he lost his other arm. He didn't care if he was crucified upside down like Peter. It doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't matter if I'm broke. It doesn't matter if I lose my health. It doesn't matter if I lose my wealth. It doesn't matter. I was made to shine. And the world doesn't determine whether I shine or not. He determines. The power source determines whether I shine. And I don't care what light bulb you are today. Listen, the power comes from God. Plug and play. Let the devil take everything. Let him turn your life upside down. He can't disconnect you from the power source. You are being delivered. You're in the process of it. What about all those that aren't? If you're just some kind of, I'm just going to do it in my power. You're just a pretty lamp. Or a weird lamp. (laughs) Don't just be a weird lamp. Shine. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.